Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. If you're, if you're watching online or here in person, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Uh, Romans chapter 1. What we are doing in this, in this introduction is, is a couple different things. We're not only looking at the text, we are um, pausing and, and, and revealing a doctrine that's really behind the text. And so last week we looked at what it, what it means to have be united in Christ. And this week I want us to see the communion of the saints through, the, through this text, through just the introduction. There are some assumptions the Bible makes, and we have to slow down and read them and even look at the whole counsel of God's Word to see the beauty of them. Our, our life and ministry and mission depend on understanding these things that are taught in Scripture. And so let's stand. I'm going to back up a little bit. I want to read verses 7 to 10. Uh, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 8 to 10 this morning. This is the word of God, Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I'm, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we've been able to, to meet week after week and just slowly absorb the beauty of, of this letter Paul wrote to the Romans. We recognize that in that day, this letter would have been read in its entirety. And, and uh, Lord, though we enjoy doing that um, from week to week, we, we also enjoy gathering together and just, and just uh, ringing out verse by verse. And so thank you for your word. Thank you for the church. Thank you to be able to gather together and give ourselves to not only worshiping through song and through giving, but now that we get to hear from your word today. And so, Lord, make it, make it clear, convict us. Lord, if those in the room that needs to be united in Christ, we pray for that ahead of time, um, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will bring life, bring peace where there needs to be peace, bring comfort where there needs to be comfort, bring conviction where there needs to be conviction. Do your work, we pray, for we cannot do it, and we will not do it. We will simply preach the word and receive the word and trust the Holy Spirit to do his work, whose name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The question you could ask yourself, since we've already said that Paul hasn't been to Rome is why did he long to go to Rome so much? I mean, he didn't even really know these people, did he? He'd never met them. Why did he feel such a connection with these people? And how in the world could he dare say that he loved somebody that he's never met? It's a good question, isn't it? Sort of the theme that I've been wanting us to get a hold of, and we're going to keep keep ringing it out for the next couple weeks, is our union in Christ drives our communion with each other. 
Our union in Christ drives our communion with each other. We spoke last week in our introduction about the danger of having an independent attitude. And with that comes what the devil oftentimes uses. And I think it's, it's one of his most dangerous tools in his arsenal is the danger of isolation. To have an independent attitude sets us up for this. To, to pull back in isolation when trials and tribulations come. It's a dangerous weapon and it works. Time after time, year after year. Have you ever noticed those survivalist programs where some guy go, or, or maybe it's a gal and she goes off grid? She lives with nobody. Build some cabin out in the middle of nowhere, have nobody to talk to. I'm not saying they're weird. Just saying. Spend your life all by yourself, and eventually you may well lose your mind in the process. Why is that? Listen to this guy. I'm probably going to kill his name, but he died in, he died in 1800, so... He can't come get me. Alexis de Tocqueville, he was a Frenchman. He came over to the United States in the 1830s. And here's what he said. He, he observed, quote, that Americans owe nothing to any man. They expect nothing from any man. They acquire the habit of always considering themselves as standing alone. And they are apt to imagine that their whole destiny is in their hands. This attitude throws the American back forever upon himself alone and threatens in the end to confine him entirely with the solitude of his own heart. It's the danger of isolation. This attitude has well permeated the church. Matter of fact, it did more than permeate during COVID. It exploded during COVID. This, this idea that a professed believer can be a true believer and see no need to be active in a local church, no need to give and little need to serve. They rely on Christian radio and they worship online. Worship has just become a personal thing. It's ironic with such an attitude that they often get offended that they willingly isolate themselves and then get upset when nobody pursues them. But they take little notice to the damage they are doing and have done in the body of Christ. The church has become like a leased car. You just use it for a period of time, Trade it in for a newer model with better accessories. Who wants to roll down the windows when you can push the button? This is the danger of separating who we are in Christ with who we are connected with because of Christ. The communion of the saints. Listen, it is the primary context in which life and mission and ministry happen. When Paul went to a place, he planted a church. So, our main idea today 
Union in Christ brings us fellowship with each other, a longing for the growth of all believers, and a collective drivenness for his mission. This will be our main idea for the next couple weeks. So what do we mean by communion? The communion of the saints. Let's define it. This is, I'm going to spend the most time here. Defining communion, let's just take the word, you can write it down or just put it in your mind. The first part, C-O-M, come, it means with. So that's easy, isn't it? With union. That we are united to something. Communion then is a living fellowship with other people. This is real. This is not conceptual. This is not the communion. This is not fellowship you have with a video game chat room. This is, this is eyeball to eyeball. This is life to life. This is hard. This takes time. This is a priority. This is communion. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That word fellowship, that's what we understand, communion. It's a living fellowship with people who share things in common. I'm going to come back to this twice because it's central to understand. Our commonness, as we see in 1 Corinthians 1.9, is faith alone in Christ alone. We may have nothing else in common, but we have this. Our commonness is that all of us have received by God's grace alone salvation. There is a commonness. There is a commonness shared in the benefits. We're going to talk about that next week, even in more depth. What are some of the benefits that we share? There is even a commonness in what we refuse to share. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what, what fellowship has light with darkness? We could say there's, there, what communion has light with darkness? The answer is None. And so we don't date unbelievers. We don't marry unbelievers. We don't go into business with unbelievers. We don't yoke up with them in a partnership, in a fellowship way, because we have nothing in common with them that matters ultimately Christ. Christ. So fellowship is with a group of believers. Communion is with a specific group of people devoted to walking in a particular direction. 1 John 1, 6 and 7. 1 John has a lot to say about what it means to be a Christian. 1 John 1, 6 says this. If we say we have fellowship, there's our word again. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, listen, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. We walk in the light we have fellowship with one another, and we have forgiveness of our sins, and that is not the least bit multiple choice. They flow together. Union brings communion. 
with a particular group of people. And what the communion of the saints is saying, what the fellowship of the saints is saying, is those people are saints. So we, we talked about this last week. Who are saints? Who are saints? Somebody, this is our engaging time of the message. Who are the saints? Us. Not some, not some dead guy up there that lived a certain way. Us. The rank and file Christian. Those are who the saints are scripturally. We understand that God is sanctifying the saints. The church is both the ecclesia, the, the called out congregation, but they're also the set apart saints. So let's define it. There should be a definition popping up on your screen back there. This is Philip Ryken's definition. I couldn't improve on it. I'm going to look at it a couple times this morning. The communion of the saints is a living fellowship of all true believers who are united in love by their union with Christ and have spiritual communion with one another as they share in corporate worship, spiritual gifts, Christian graces, material goods, and mutual edification. Can't say it better than that. That's what the communion of the saints is. And so we come back to our questions. Why did Paul long to go to Rome when he didn't even know these people? How could he feel such a connection and love? Why did he pray so fervently for them? It's because the saints are united in love by their union in Christ. That's what keeps us together. To put it another way, and even more bluntly, the communion of the saints is members only. Members only. And then, though even when we say that, we're saying, well, that sounds a little arrogant. No, it's just biblical. Ephesians 2.19 tells us that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Some of us have gym memberships, or maybe you have a, have a card that you get special privileges when you go to get airplane tickets. And whatever it is, whatever illustration works for you this morning, you know this is true, that there is a general thing at the YMCA that, that you can go in, maybe you can use the treadmill, but you can, there's another type of membership that allows you other privileges that other people are not allotted to. You have to get on that airplane. You have to walk by those comfy seats and sit in coach, right? Why is that? You see, the, there is a grace that all people enjoy, though they give no thankfulness to the one who provides it for them. I call this general grace. But there is a special grace that is reserved to the, for those that are united in Christ. And listen, I, I'm going to come back to this a couple times too because we need to understand this. The foundation of the communion of the saints is not the church directory, but those who are united in Christ. In other words, not every church member is a saint, but every saint should be a church member. The failure to not be an active church member is costly to the church of Jesus Christ and to your very soul. If you're a Christian, you should be too afraid to not be a part of the body of Christ. It is important. It is a mandate. 
to such degree that we could read the New Testament and be reading somebody else's mail if we don't understand it through the lens of being part of the body of Christ. So what is not the communion of saints? What isn't it? Whatever the right grammar, the way to say that. I, was a, I, always, I struggle with that question more than anything else this week. What is it not? It's not simply those who are living in heaven. Do we have saints living in heaven? Absolutely. Many of us have lost people we love, and they're, they're absent from the body and present with the Lord, and, and they are part of the communion of the saints. But, but listen to what it's not. It's not just them. Nor is it some personal communication between the living and the dead as taught by both the Roman Catholic Church as well as many in the Eastern Orthodox to this day. It is a living fellowship of all believers. So is the church then. Now listen, you're going to have to put it on here a minute. Is the church the same as the communion of the saints? How many of you have heard of the term the visible and the invisible church? Ever heard of that language? The visible and the invisible church. Well, you're, going to, you're hearing it now if you hadn't ever heard it. And here's what, we're, here's what the visible and the invisible church said. That this is the same understanding of the biblical text that teaches us with, with, within the wheat, there are the tares. There's coming a day when God will separate them. The invisible church consists of all true believers, not just those who say they're Christians. The visible church is a mixed multitude. Those who are truly part of the body of Christ, truly part of the communion of the saints, and those who simply say they are. And sometimes you and I can't tell the difference. This is the difference. The members of the invisible church share a common spiritual life. We have a common connectedness. That's anyone who knows Christ. Anyone who knows Christ is part of the communion of the saints. No other distinction eternally matters. If we are in Christ, we are one people. It transcends anything that the world can offer us nor take away from us. This is the communion of the saints. So let's think about just simply a couple of illustrations. And we could do more. Uh, this, this will be sufficient, I think. Think about how God designed us from the beginning in creation. Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18 Put your little tassel there in Romans and flip over to the front of your Bible. Genesis 2, 18. Just, that, just the first part. Think, just grab the truth out of this. This is the one who designed us. And here's what the Lord God said in Genesis 2, 18. It is not good that man should be alone. It is not good. For us to be alone. It is not good for man to isolate. It is not good to be independent. To think that we don't need anybody but ourselves to make it. No, that's not true. God did not design us for that. When the fall happens, you need to only look over to chapter 3. You see what comes. With that comes shame and anger, but separation. 
even judgment, vertically and horizontally. What we are saying here this morning is that by creative design that you know down deep in your soul that you long for an intimate fellowship as described in the New Testament. When you see it, you long for it. God, Because God puts it, it is not good for us to be alone. It's not good for you to try to live the Christian life. It is, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. We long to have some kind of spiritual connection with people with skin on that we can share our lives and our good times and our bad times and our hard times. And we, it is important to you even if your life denies it. We can see it in creation. It was not good for man to be alone. We can also see it in the church from the negative perspective to start with. We just have to deal with our own business for a minute. The church, is, the saints are often divided by class, by ethnicity, by gender. Our differences, we talked about this in marriage last week. Our differences are part of God's creative design. It's part of his providence to paint a beautiful mosaic picture. We're not supposed to live in shades of grays and browns or blacks and whites. We are meant to live life in a, with people in unity, with a diversity, with a common faith. And let God paint the picture as beautiful as it is, as he painted creation. That's what the communion of the saints is designed by God to be. When we use our God-designed distinctions to separate ourselves from other believers, we sin against them and we sin against God. Quote, the communion of the saints is disturbed whenever race becomes a pretext for racism, class becomes a pretext for classism, and sex becomes a pretext for sexism. Calling sin what it is is not political. It is biblical. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are the church, but from a positive perspective. It was Christ who said that he was the founder of the church. He tells Peter, remember Matthew 16, 18, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it. By the way, that means that we're, that we're pushing against the kingdom of darkness. And we're doing it together. In the church, you see, we are baptized into this communion with Christ and each other. This is the picture. This is the illustration. Galatians 3.26 again says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Baptism then is both a sign and seal that you have been united to Christ and each other. It illustrates the death and burial of Jesus Christ and how we have been brought into Christ. It's not just a dry symbolism. 
It is a sign and seal of something greater. Colossians 2.12 says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Romans 6.4, We were buried therefore with him into baptism, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too may walk in newness of life you see the we there we are brought in through faith into Christ baptism water baptism then is not something that brings the union Baptism is a symbol. It is a sign and seal that these things have happened into our life. It is a biblical profession in the context of the church. It is the front door to the church bringing you into fellowship. Not only you have already been brought into fellowship with Christ. It is to stand before the world and before people and to say, I am with Christ and I am with you. Baptism is not merely a private experience that you do at the lake or somebody's pool with your friend. It is a public declaration within the context of the church to, to be done to express our union in Christ. Baptism is like a rainbow. We were talking about that last night. Every time we see a rainbow, what do we think of? God has given us promises. He'll never go back on his word. That's what that is. It's not some dry symbol. It's a picture. It's a sign and seal that I am in God's grace from now on. And I have a group of people that won't bail on me. Oh, that we were that people. We must be. Think about this for a minute. I know we've looked at this verse many times. Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42 but let's look at it with the communion of the saints in mind. With that definition, hopefully still fresh in our mind. This is, this is the communion of the saints in action. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. That's what we're saying. The communion of the saints is the living fellowship of all true believers who are united in, their, in love by their union in Christ and have a spiritual communion with one another as they share corporate worship, spiritual gifts, Christian graces, material goods, mutual edification. I'm asking you, is that not what you see in Acts 2, 42 to 47? It absolutely is. That's why I use the definition. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, No one can become a new man except by entering the church and becoming a member of the body of Christ. It is impossible to become a new man as a solitary individual. Mm. So we illustrate our communion through our life. Live together. 
all of that to, to say, let's look at the text. <laughs> let's look at the text. So flip us back to Romans 1. There's plenty of more things that could be said, but let's just look at what's obvious here in Romans 1, 8 to 10. I want you to see, return to this idea of the communion of the saints and our common faith. Just look at what it says. Verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The Christian faith is both personal and corporate. It is both a my God reality and a your faith reality. I mean, if you look at verse 7, you see it's our Father. So it's our Father, my God, your faith. You see it? Yes, for Paul, Christianity was intensely personal. But not in the sense that it's just me and God. There's no understanding of that. There's no place to put that in the Bible. We have to import that from the American dream. God is personal in the sense that he is not far removed from his people. He is close to us. He is with us. He is in us. He is not meant for you to be off there all by yourself somewhere saying, me and Jesus got a deal. If you and Jesus only has a deal, you have no deal. Because he is with his people. Where are you? Your faith is proclaimed. As, this is my point here. I want you to see it. As, as their faith is proclaimed, as the news got out about this little small light in Rome, the worldwide communion of the saints erupts in joy. When a church is birthed in Africa, when, when the church is birthed in Honduras, it, we celebrate, who celebrates? Only the communion of the saints. That means some people don't celebrate in the church. They're sitting there going, what's the big deal? Couldn't we just spend this money on ourselves? I mean, there's lost people here in America. Well, we heard that during our adoption process. That's a stupid thing to say. God calls us to it. That's why we do it. And when that happens, when God brings light, we all celebrate. Why? Because of the communion of the saints. Because Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your one call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Whew. I mean, that just gets it all, though, doesn't it? How many times do you say the word all there? That's the communion of the saints. It is a commonness. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the commonness that we have. And we have no warrant for all this arrogant distinction. When we have somebody who locks arms with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are to lock arms with them. The communion of the saints is shared by a common faith that brings a collective celebration but also through our service. Do you see it? Verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. You see, this word, you see that word service? This is like important, because you, you can't just read this by looking at it in, in our, our translation in English. This is not the word deacon. It's not the word deacon. 
It's not the word diakonos. It's not what it means. It, it's a different word that can mean either service or worship, which means anywhere we say from here on out service, you should be able to substitute the word worship. Service is worship. Worship is service. That's what he's saying. Paul's service or Paul's worship is sincere. In other words, he's giving them everything he has. He's not leaving anything on the table. The opposite of sincere, superficial, even lazy. Paul is beginning to bleed out, as we'll see over and over, his God-centered passion for both Christ and them. His relationship is both horizontal with his Lord and vertical with the communion of the saints. It is them that he wants to lock arms with to reach Spain, to reach Rome. This is important for us as believers. Paul's service to them up to this point was an unceasing prayer life. With my spirit, that means my whole heart, all I got. I haven't been there, no. But you're getting all I have. Because I'm pouring my heart out to you before every church that he planted, he gave all he had to them, didn't he? He planted a church, he raised up leaders, he wrote letters, he sent his people back that he was discipling back to the people because he loved the people of God and he wanted to see them strengthened and established. He speaks of having the daily pressure of the church on him. Here's what I'm wondering. You see, the communion of the saints comes with a pressure. What we are all going through individually is collectively shared. What are you carrying? You've got to be part of something to carry it. You can't just pull off what you want. And you are not any busier than Paul or Jesus Christ. You are not carrying any more responsibility than them to. And he's calling us to give everything we got. Ministry is the person in front of you. And when they're in front of you, you need to be all there. You cannot simply fit this kind of service onto a checklist of to-dos. You've got to have some flex time in your life, brothers and sisters. You've got to figure that out. Because there are people in the body of Christ, in the communion of the saints, who needs to have their burdens carried along with them. This was Paul's service. Paul's service was always gospel-centered and always focused on others. It was always gospel-centered. It was through Jesus for the believers. Apart from the work of the Son, what he's saying here in the text, just look at it. Apart from the work of the Son, we, we have no thanksgiving, we have no prayer, and we have no church. Everything was about the gospel. Everything was right smack in the center, connected together, held together. But Paul's service, Paul's worship was for others. To God, for other people. He desired to serve the people in Rome. He desired to be a blessing to them and they to him. We'll see that next week. But the service that he is 
talking about in the primary context is intercessory prayer. That's the primary context here. Because Paul hadn't been able to go there yet. We see this just, if you just look at the beginning of Paul's letters, you see his regular, constant, unceasing prayer for God's people. Prayer is hard work. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Prayer and labor go together. Listen to what this one fellow said, quote, Prayer and labor are to go together. To pray without laboring is to mock God. To labor without prayer is to rob God of his glory. Until these are co-joined, the gospel will not be extensively successful. Oh my goodness. That was one of those quotes. To, I, mean, I got to read that again. Prayer and labor ought to go together. To pray without laboring is to mock God. To labor without prayer is to rob God of his glory. Until these are co-joined, the gospel will not be extensively successful. The unceasing prayer life for brothers and sisters is the greatest service you can give in the body of Christ. This is not a treatise on prayer here. This is, this is not telling you how to, to be an effective prayer warrior or to start an effective prayer ministry. All we can simply do is read this and observe what we see in Paul's regular, normal, ongoing life about prayer. And the first thing we see is a lot of intercessory prayer going on here. Every time we open up his letters, he's praying for somebody else, even when he's in prison. Our kingdom impact will only come on our knees. That's what he's teaching us today. A real work of ministry before I stand up before you and before you go and have coffee with some, a lost co-worker is prayer. It's prayer. Because we must proclaim the gospel. This is what he's wanting. This is what he desires. Sounds like a broken record for the, from people who are not Christians. You're always talking about gospel proclamation. Absolutely. Our sainthood is not simply positional. It is something that causes an effect. How do we spread the news? We are set apart to be a witness. The word of your faith is going out, it's spreading. Romans 15, if you've got Romans, you can flip over there to chapter 15. Verse 20. Romans 15, 20. It says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have Never been told him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That's a promise. And so what we, are, what we see and are assuming as we read this, there's a lot of people, even in the capital city of Rome, that have never heard the name of Christ. And Paul longs for this people to understand we are united in Christ, we are together in Christ, and we must go with Christ. I want you to see a little something here of God, communion of the saints and God's will. I was convicted that sometimes I use that sort of willy-nilly. 
becomes almost like we used the phrase, I love you, becomes almost an empty phrase. Paul didn't mean it that way. By God's will, Paul meant the constant voluntary subjecting of his life to God's sovereign agenda, not his own. He was absolutely fine with that. He got his peace from that reality. Not from the shame that he felt because, why have you not been to Rome yet, Paul? He said, when God opens the door, I'm coming. But if he shuts the door, who can open it? When God's will is embraced, there is a grace and a peace even in the midst of trials. He expresses, so here's what he, he's not paralyzed by God's sovereignty. He rests in it. What he does is he's saying here, this is what he's just said. I asked the Lord that I want to go to Rome. Right? Make your prayers known to God. Lord, I want to go to Rome. I want to, I want to bring the gospel greater there. I want to impact these, these small pack of these believers' life. And then he entrusts that prayer to God. And here's what he's saying. God hasn't opened the door yet. Paul would eventually go to Rome. Now listen. This is, some of us can bear the scars of the truth of this statement. Paul went to Rome after he was mobbed, arrested, imprisoned, and shipwrecked. Paul went to Rome with chains on his hand. Why? Because that was God's will. And he went and did, the, did his gospel work as a prisoner with joy and peace because that's what God called him to do. And even there, Paul said, Paul always wanted to people his people around him. Paul never willingly desired to be alone. He says, sometimes people abandon me, and Christ was with me. But that's not what he desired. He said, Timothy, man, you come. Bring Mark. So what? Union precedes communion. Union precedes communion. This is a Christianity. You must be a child of God to experience the benefits of what Christianity brings. 1 John 1, verse 1 says this, This was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Verse 2. The life that was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we have testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. Today, Jesus offers you salvation and eternal life and a forever family. But Jesus is first. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And what you will get 
is a fellowship with other people and eternal life. I just wonder, are we enjoying the privilege of communion? Let's just go with me for a minute to the end of the Bible. Before we sing a little bit more, I, I just I'm not going to preach this. I just want you to see it. Revelation verse 7. I mean chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. See if we can't roll around in the goodness of the privileges of being covered with the blood of Christ. Revelation 7 and verse 9 says this, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Look with me at verse 15. Therefore... They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor the scorching heat. For the lamb in the throne is in the midst of the throne. Will be their shepherd forever. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so, brothers, let us embrace the privilege of worship, of service, of biblical community now, while we long for a day when we will experience it face to face. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you for a good time in your word this morning. And now thank you that we can worship you with our voices. We can declare the truth. We can declare the gospel. We can declare what we believe. We thank you now that we can give with generous and glad hearts reflecting the the generosity that you have shed, given to us through your son on the cross. Lord, we thank you that we can, week by week, come to the tables. And so, Lord, now, even now, we come to you asking for your forgiveness for the sins that we have done, the sins even within our own hearts, the sins within our own motivations. And ask that the blood of Christ cleanse us. Lord, we need to ask for forgiveness because our lack of a priority of the body of Christ. And Lord, may we turn and embrace those that are all around us. Lord, I I am so grateful for such a people who love so well. May you multiply that among us. And now we come, Lord, not to simply think about ourselves, but to remember our Lord Jesus Christ who is the only reason that we have to be together.
we remember his blood and his body broken for us. We celebrate it. We think about that time then when we will all be together, the saints of old and the saints of the present and the saints of the future, Lord, all together in one place with one purpose. But now, Lord, receive our worship. For the glory of your great name, we pray. Amen.